Be the church. Be the church. But it has to be said that the church is not and has never been a singular monolithic movement. Not even in its earliest days. Without Jesus there to guide people, church leaders like Peter and Paul had to interpret things their own way and live as faithfully as they could. In particular, questions about Jewish tradition lingered. To what extent should these followers of Christ continue to follow the old laws of Moses as opposed to the new covenant in Jesus? Food, dietary laws, these were of particular importance here. And in this text, we see Peter really wrestling and struggling with the question about what he's allowed to eat. But it's framed in a vision, a story, that will help others to make sense of their own predicament in these uncertain times. That's what stories do. They relate to our own experience and they speak truth in ways that are hard to articulate otherwise. This is the first in a sermon series about stories and storytelling. And this particular story is a pivotal one as the earliest followers of Christ tried to figure out what it meant to live into a new story. A reading from Acts chapter 10. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, what God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, creator of all things, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I don't know if it really happened this way, but I know this story is true. Once upon a time, according to an old Cheyenne legend, all of the people and the animals in the world lived together in peace and harmony. Creatures with Two legs or four or none at all shared in accord. But as time passed, the buffalo grew proud. They came to believe that they were more powerful, more worthy than all of the other animals, more powerful than humans even, and that 
they decided that the, the buffalo's rightful place, therefore, was at the top of the food chain. Now, the people, of course, felt threatened by this new development. Man-eating buffalo were a problem they didn't need. But moreover, their pride was deeply wounded. This is not fair, the men and women protested. The great spirits created all of us equal. But if one must be stronger, obviously it should be us. The Buffalo tribes considered this and proposed a contest to decide who should eat who. A great race of all the world's creatures, a foot race amongst the Black Hills to a place called Buffalo Gap. Word of the race spread like wildfire across the animal kingdom and beasts from all across the land gathered in the Black Hills to take part in the race. They painted themselves for the occasion, the skunk painting a white stripe along its back, the antelope smearing reddish mud all over its body, and the black-tailed deer painting its tail black, begging the question why it was called a black-tailed deer in the first place. And they've remained that way ever since. But the humans, recognizing their own disadvantage in this contest against some of the more fleet-footed animals who had four legs, while they only had two, proposed that they choose some birds to compete in their place instead. The buffalo agreed, and the humans selected four birds, a hummingbird, a meadowlark, a hawk, and a magpie to race in their stead. And the buffalo put forth their fastest champion called Running Slim Buffalo Woman, and the race to Buffalo Gap was on. One by one, the animals grew weary and collapsed along the side of the trail. The hummingbird and the meadowlark were swift, but they lacked endurance, and they fell behind. So too the hawk, long believed to be the fastest of all the birds, surged ahead of running slim, but exhausted herself too quickly. Confident now that she would prevail, the raging buffalo unconsciously began to ease her pace as she neared the finish line at Buffalo Gap. But she disregarded little magpie, who slowly began to gain on her. It was almost too close to call, but at the last moment, Magpie's little beak sailed across the finish line first. The humans had won the contest. They had proved their cunning, if not by their own merits. And from that day onward, they hunted the buffalo for their food. I don't know if it really happened this way, but I know this story is true. That's something that Native American storytellers are known for saying before spinning a tale to those gathered around the fire. The meaning, of course, is that while the temporal events depicted in a particular story might be a fiction, there's still truth in the telling. Storytelling is truth-telling helps us to make sense of the world. In this case, the story acknowledged that the buffalo are worthy partners in the cycle of life, 
and it justified the food chain that sustained the Cheyenne. Now that was really important because people used to worry about their relationship to their food a lot more than we probably realize. The Cheyenne and the other Native American tribes cherished the buffalo, honored them, and they couldn't just eat them in good conscience without a story that made sense of it all. Now, I did not become a vegetarian over the summer, though I am rather eager to sample that new uh, plant-based burger at White Castle. So real it supposedly bleeds. But this is not a sermon about the virtues of a plant-based diet. It's a sermon about stories. Stories and why they matter, why they're important. And it happens that a lot of humanity's oldest stories are about the food that sustained people who gathered around the fire. Now going back even further than the Native American tribes, our Neanderthal ancestors in the Paleolithic era, perhaps as long as 300,000 years ago, began to bury their dead. It's widely believed that these rituals signified a kind of religious belief, right, an acknowledgement uh, that the soul uh, exists and that it persists in some form after death. And this understanding of the soul seems to have been applied to animals as well because we begin to see a kind of animal worship in those times. We have ancient cave walls smeared with ochre depicting horses and bison and other creatures with reverent detail. We have evidence of people buried with hunting tools as though they might meet these creatures again in the next life. And we found the skulls of cave bears adorning eldritch altars in the icy caverns of the Swiss Alps. These people revered the animals that sustained them. Now today, a lot of folks take a more cavalier approach to their food. As my stepfather once said, if animals aren't supposed to be eaten, then why is it that they're made out of meat? Hard to argue with that. But our ancestors, beginning to see these living things as more than just meat, had to come to terms with the killing of these creatures. So they ritualized the hunt, worshipped the animals who sustained their lives with food, even deified them. They struck a bargain of sorts to alleviate their own guilt, worshipping these creatures in exchange for their nourishment. And gathered there, around the fire, they took sustenance. The stories they told about these creatures sustained them just as well as the food in their bellies. These stories that made sense of their world. That was the beginning of religion. And it's not so different, really, from what we do with the communion table here in this church. In fact, it's remarkably similar, isn't it? We gather around... We eat, we share a story, and in the telling we find absolution, and we make sense of our place in the universe. 
This story that we heard from the book of Acts is also about food, and it's also about so much more. In this scripture, the apostle Peter is given a a vision of a blanket covered with these unclean animals, four-legged creatures and beasts and birds and reptiles that Jews were forbidden to eat according to the laws of Moses. And in this vision, a voice from heaven tells Peter to eat them anyway, thereby abolishing the old law. Now, as you can imagine, this was a really useful story for the early Christ followers, especially Jewish ones who sought to break away from the old way of doing things. The story tells us several things, right? Uh, First of all, God is less interested than what you put in your mouth than what comes out of it, as Jesus himself preached. Strict doctrine is less important than simple compassion. It's the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law that matters. These are all essential Christian teachings. But try explaining that to a faithful Jew in first century Palestine who wanted to follow Jesus. You can't just tell him to abandon these traditions that he's lived by in favor of a new covenant. You just tell him to stop doing those things. A sacred vision, on the other hand, a story is more compelling. You can't argue with a story. Stories are always more compelling, I think, than mere explanations. Whenever I'm mentoring uh, less experienced preachers, I encourage them to tell as many stories as possible and to trust that those stories will get their point across. Preferably anecdotes about fast food restaurants and predictable tired jokes about their lush, gorgeous hair, both of which I've somehow managed to build a career on. Um, if, I ever, if I ever lose my hair, I'm done for. <laughs> Nothing left to talk about. Uh, but the important thing in preaching and in storytelling is to limit straight exposition to the bare minimum. In other words, don't tell me a hundred times to love my neighbor. Tell me one good story about loving my neighbor. Show me. Don't tell me. That's what Jesus did when he spoke in parables. He told stories to help people understand things that couldn't be said plain. Now, I haven't actually done much storytelling in this sermon, uh, ironically. It's been more of an anthropology lesson so far. So I'll tell you about what happened to me last week at the gas station. Some of you may have already heard this one. I know it was shared at choir practice last week. It's been making the rounds, but I figure it's worth telling more widely. So, uh, so I stopped by the gas station after work one day, and it's worth noting that at the time I was dressed a little bit oddly. Not really oddly for me, but just odd in general. And I was, wearing, uh, I was wearing a black suit, cowboy boots. My shirt was buttoned, probably a little bit lower than it should have been. And I've got these ridiculous yellow glasses on. And uh, I'm standing there, you know, chewing on a toothpick, pumping gas into my black Dodge, looking like some shady dude from a direct-to-video knockoff of a Quentin Tarantino movie. 
In other words, it was Tuesday. So I'm just leaning against my car, minding my own business, and this guy walks across the parking lot and he shouts, Hey, I like your style! Now, I have to tell you, this sort of thing happens pretty often. The only problem is I can never tell when people are being serious or when they're making fun of me. I don't really dress like other guys for the most part. I never have. You know, I do my own thing. My son asked me not long ago why, why I don't dress like the other dads at his school. That was a really great opportunity to teach him about being yourself. But I just told him that it's because his dad is a lot cooler than the other dads <laughs> at school. So anyway, I'm at the gas station. This guy calls out, hey, I like your style. Thanks, I tell him. Oh, man, I was talking to the young woman behind you. He says to me, turning around, I see that there's this young woman, maybe 25 years old, pumping gas into the next car in line. And I was thinking she, she might be a little offended, you know, at being uh, remarked upon this way, but, but she actually started cracking up laughing at me um, and my, my ignorance, apparently finding all of this very amusing. So just to be really clear about exactly what happened here, uh, some girl got hit on at a gas station, and I thought the guy was talking to me. <laughs> now, let's break this story down, although I'd honestly prefer not to. It's a funny story, right? It's entertaining. But it also implies some things about me that you wouldn't fully understand if I just told you. Uh, some might see it as a tale of narcissism, but it's actually quite the opposite. It's really a story about my own personal insecurity. Namely, that I'm so desperate for validation and affirmation that if I so much as hear a compliment uttered in my general vicinity, I want to believe that it was meant for me. Going deeper, maybe that's why I dress the way I do. Maybe a part of me wants to be noticed, to be seen, to be known. Stories are powerful. Ancient legends, like the kind we find in our Bible, speak to divine truth. But our stories are kind of truth-telling, too. Contemporary events speak the truth about who we are, for better or for worse. These stories are true. And in a world where truth is so hard to come by, that makes them especially precious. There are so many stories in the Bible that we glean inspiration from. Jesus' heroic entry into Jerusalem when he redefined what it means to be a hero. The legend of Noah's Ark, where God ultimately decides to preserve creation instead of destroying it forever. Mary Magdalene, who loved Jesus more deeply than cheap notions of modern romance can convey. And the disciples, terrified in the midst of a raging stormy sea, their own fear reflecting ours. Over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at stories like these, these kinds of narratives, stories of heroes, of creation, of love, and of fear as well as stories about what our future might hold.
these tales matter a great deal, not because they're old, not because they're in the Bible, but because they're our stories too. I want to tell you all about a woman I know who had suffered greatly. She was a cancer survivor and recovering from a particularly nasty divorce. Her parents had passed away both within a couple of years of each other and her children had left the nest pursuing their own dreams on the other side of the country. For the first time in a long time she was alone and adrift without purpose. But having been through so much, she decided to offer what she could to help others. She wanted to get more involved at her church, so she joined the Ministry of Meals, preparing a home-cooked meal to people who were going through a hard time. And realizing that she loved to cook and loved to nourish other people in this way, she joined the kitchen ministry, working with others to prepare meals for the whole congregation. In time, she became a Stephen minister, working face-to-face with folks who were struggling with illness and divorce and grief, as she had, and realizing finally what God was calling her to do. At 55 years old, she changed careers, and she became a hospice chaplain, nurturing those who were saying farewell to their loved ones. And when that woman finally passed away herself 20 years later, the church was filled with all of the lives that she touched and people shared stories about all she had meant to them. Now I have to confess it didn't happen exactly this way, but I know this story is true. This woman does not have a name She is, in a sense, a composite of other people I've known. I've known so many people in this church who have suffered like she did. People who have served like she did. And people who were celebrated at the end of life's journey as she was. People who lived into God's story of redemption. At the dawn of this new church year, I want you all to ask yourselves, what story will I tell? Maybe you'll serve meals or care for people who are grieving or fight for justice in a broken world. Maybe you'll find ways to speak truth with your art or your music. Maybe you'll find absolution here in this place where we gather around the fire sharing food and stories sustained by God's eternal love. If God is the storyteller, then the church is God's story. We all have a part to play in it, and regardless of how it happens, I know this story is true. Amen.